0: What is up everyone and welcome into the Modern Journal Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com and my co-host who will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Journal Magazine. We will be covering a ton of information in this episode of the podcast including an educational article that I wrote. For the Rock and Jazz Clinic series, and this article was about bass drum speed and how I built my own personal bass drum speed. We'll also talk to Mike about exercises that he used to increase his bass drum speed. We'll get into a little bit of shop talk and discuss the difference between clear and coated heads. We'll definitely talk about the cover artist on the November issue, who would be Mr. Brian Fraser Moore. We will get into our gear review section and talk about the new Soul Tone cymbal pack as well as some insanely amazing snare drums from the guy drum company and then we will as always give you our picks of the week so let's get started holy episode 12 mr dawson how are you doing pal i'm doing great how are you i'm i'm fantastic but we are in the middle of a resurgence of summer it has been 98 99 degrees for the last three days and it is october 15th so that's not normal here
1: do you guys have like changing of leaves and stuff out there
0: yeah, they're there and then they're gone. <laughs> okay, but no, we don't have the uh, we don't have foliage as as the East Coast people would call it. We don't we don't go out to Vermont and drive around and see the leaves change colors. It, it, it happens really fast here. Okay. Everything's green and then within a week everything's brown. Because we're in prime uh, fall season right now, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's it's stunning.
1: We have like a lake nearby and there's forest everywhere. I mean, it's and it's like an East Coast thing to do, right? You go see the leaves change. I mean, not really. I mean, it's, if you're a city person, you get out of the city. But I got gotcha. you. Okay. you know where we are, where it's just
0: nature. You just everywhere. see it. Yeah, it's just right. Driving to work, you're like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> we definitely, we definitely don't have that. Um, but we also don't have uh, any insane weather. So yeah, we, yeah. uh This we're is okay. just the 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 preamble for the the snow that's coming in probably three or four weeks. So Yeah. The- you know. Yeah, we're getting prepared, too, because we're hearing all about uh, that El Nino is going to nail California, but they're telling us, we don't know how it will nail you. It will either nail you with an insane amount of more drought and heat, or it will nail you oh. with a ton of water. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Can you please be more specific? Um, they're just saying, like, it's coming. We just don't know how it's going to affect you. Um, so, Yikes. please. But it's insane here, man. I mean, the, the, like... We are on super hyper water sensitivity around here. Like if you see somebody, you know, with the sprinklers on or anything, you, you knock on their door and tell them to turn it off. It's pretty crazy. Wow. And hey, my neighbors water their lawn like four times a day. That must be nice. <laughs> yeah. must be nice. Well, you you guys know that you have snow coming. <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. We don't have snow. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. So what's been going on with you lately, boss? Well, you know, it's been – this week has been pretty cool. I got a chance
1: to check out um, – two kits from another. I mean, I have to say that I think nowadays is probably the best time to be a drummer because there's so many great companies and so many custom shops. I mean, I know of three companies on the East Coast alone who are actually making their own shells. Really? Yeah. So they're not just buying, buying parts and putting it together. So there's this company out of Pennsylvania called Bucks County Drums. Okay. They, they just reached out to me kind of out of the blue. I've kind of heard their name and stuff because i lived in Philly for a while and so I've heard the name, but... They they actually make a hybrid uh, stave shell with plies as well, so it's like a stave shell and a ply shell put together. Is
0: it super thick?
1: No, it's not. The, really, the staves are, are thin, so it's a normal wow. thickness shell, but it's got the the power and the strength of a of a solid shell and the the warmth of a and, of a ply shell.
0: Wow, is it is it a loud drum set? No, or just normal?
1: No, I mean they're. They said they gave, they brought up two a bebop kit and a uh, like a big bottom type kit with a 24 inch bass drum, and they just they they're really versatile and really responsive. I think the, the solid component makes them very responsive, so you can play really light and get articulate sounds. But they they're not uh, they're not aggressive. They're not overly modern sounding. Not, and what's the company called again? They're called Bucks County Drums nice yeah so i've been checking out two of their kits this week and recording them and i'm going to do a review, full review on them so we'll probably talk about them more in, in depth in a couple months but it's just been so inspiring to think this is one guy he had an idea if i see let me see if i can glue some plies to a solid <laughs> shell and it works i mean and it sounds amazing oh it's so cool you know so, that's really cool yeah so between that and and you know my friends at, at R B H who are doing. He's building his own three ply vintage style shells that are as good as any anything that came out. I mean, better than the stuff that came out in the sixties and fifties. And you got MCD in the Philly area who's doing. He's making his own single ply drums. I mean, it's it's an inspiring time. And out in your way, which we'll talk about later, you've got Guy drums and matches of maple. And I mean, it's a it's a good time to be shopping for for a, a very unique
0: high end kit. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you have the people, you know, sometimes when you think about like a a big brand name drum set and you try to think like, well, who's the face of that? It's usually an artist because you don't know who's making your drum set. You don't know who's staining it. You don't know who's bending the shell and steaming the shell. And like, you know, when you think about... Craviato, you have somebody to think of, you know, and and with these guys, you know, you know, at Q drums, you've probably seen enough social media to know who's making your drum set. So I think that part's cool. And I think the big companies have a lot to learn from that. As far as, you know, I've talked to the guys at Gretsch. I'm like, where do these kits come from? They literally just show up and he's like, South Carolina. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Who did it? Was there? A, I, I mean, I I've, I'm a Gretsch artist, and I'm like, I don't know. And so we're actually going into the Gretsch factory. Uh, we've got like a project going on. Uh, we'll leave it at that because it's a little more top secret. But uh, yeah. but anyways, I think that's something that all of these companies, the big companies, need to kind of do better job of social media with. Is like, you know, who made this symbol? Who made this drum set? And the and the smaller guys or the smaller, you know, kind of boutique shops that's that's what you see it's like oh that guy right there that's the owner and they're they're way more nimble you know they can they
1: don't have to go through bureaucracy and any kind of corporate ladder to get things approved they just say well i made this drum. i'm going to sign it or like danette he gives all of the snare drums a name so when you
0: buy a danette snare drum it's going to have its own unique name that he just writes on the inside which is just cool that's cool now that's really cool and honestly that's kind of what you expect at that price point you you need something you know um just something to let me know. Did you care about this drum as much as you could have at the moment that you were making it? So I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean the big companies. It, what's kind of ironic is they, the big companies aren't huge.
1: They still just have a couple of guys making these drums, so right.
0: they could do the same thing, and and they will, they will. They'll they'll see the power of you know transparency with social media, and they will start to do it. The only thing that ever scares me is do they do it in a cookie cutter campaign way where it's like oh, you're still missing the point the yeah. whole point was that you know that the president of this company just had his buddy hold his phone for a second while he signed right. the inside of it that's the whole point is it was it was real it was heartfelt you know he he accomplished this drum it's there he wants to show the world and if you bring in a full movie crew to shoot that it's not going to be the same yeah i mean
1: there's a guy at the ludwig factory who literally blesses every snare drum he polishes them he's, he's <laughs> dog
0: a- <laughs> i almost had green tea come out <laughs> <of> my <mine. laughs> why would you say that while i'm drinking tea <laughs> but You're i are mean, healed
1: but seriously how cool i mean the guy's a, he's a reverend but he he polishes snare drums for a living
0: oh that is that is awesome, and it's
1: a super dangerous job. I mean, he's in there holding a drum shell on this giant machine that could rip his arm off in a half a second. So he's he's just very respectful of the machinery and of the art, and and he just gives a Amen. little blessing to every drum.
0: Dude, that's awesome, and that's every that so cool. every
1: snare drum, every AcroLite, every Superphonic, every Black Beauty.
0: Yeah, no, he's not going to discriminate just because yeah. it's at the $150 <laughs> price point. Come on now. <laughs> it's equal love, baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That is so cool. Yeah.
1: So anyway, that's what's been going on. Uh, you nice. Know, I, I felt like I we had a couple comments about the podcast, and you had mentioned that someone was confused about the Craviato recording I did a couple episodes back, so... I just wanted to clarify that that was all the 6 and a half by 14 drum, just the entire tuning range. There was no, nice. no audio for the
0: five and a half. I just felt like the 6 snap was the one that I liked the best, so that's the one I included. Got it. Cool. And we'll definitely, for all of you guys out there, um, we'll get more and more detailed with our recordings, with voiceovers and stuff, so that you know exactly what we're recording and how we're recording. I mean, there's obviously a, a great deal of uh, detail that can just be a little bit too much little minutiae but we definitely want to at least let you know uh, what we're doing and that we're really going out of our way you know if you listen to those recordings of the snare drums you can tell that mike's going out of his way to give you the honest sound um there's no you know there's not a ton of reverb and, and eq going on and there's not even um any dampening on the drum you know and i think we all know like he could put one little piece of tape on the drum and make it sound like a an amazing studio drum, but then he's affecting the sound of it. So he's leaving these things wide open and playing them as they came to him and just changing the tuning. So we're trying to give you the most honest impression of the drum possible. And that way you can affect it from there. If you end up purchasing one of these drums or cymbals or whatever.
1: Yep. Oh, and also, uh, we've also had a couple requests to include show notes. So I'm going to try to do that. I know that's going to be a little bit more painstaking to get the the text together, but it'd be nice to include all the links and stuff back. So Hopefully, we'll get those in there for the back episodes and moving forward. Sweet. Yeah, so we got to talk about—you um, have an article on bass drum speed. This article has four exercises in and I wanted to know, why did you choose these four?
0: Sure. So the goal with bass drum speed for me—you know, in the beginning, uh, I was kind of known as, like, the hands kind of drummer. So I could do a lot of the, you know, choppy stuff with my hands— But bass drum for me was something where it was kind of like a cherry on top. If I played a fill, it would be like this monster thing involving flammed rudiments, rolls, drags, everything you can think of. And then right on the and of four, there'd be one bass drum. I just had no bass drum speed whatsoever. And I also didn't know how to incorporate incorporated into my drumming so when i was pretty young probably like 11 or 12 i kind of recognized this that my hands were okay but my bass drum was atrocious so i started developing my bass drum and all i wanted to do was play fast doubles um and so i worked really hard on that but i noticed that there was a you know like a a pretty big difference between say something like right left kick kick which i could do fairly clean and powerful and then when i play left left kick kick The power would just completely die out. The consistency would go away. The volume would go away. It was just, it was terrible. So I just came up with this four-bar phrase of, which is the first exercise in the article of um, right, right, kick, kick. I do that for four beats. Then left, left, kick, kick. And so I'm kind of a being my right hand versus my left hand. And at the same time, I'm building up the ability to play doubles with each hand. Then right, left, kick, kick, which is going to be the most powerful one. Um, and that's the real lipness test for the whole exercise. And then both hands together in unison, um, together, together, kick, kick. And so those four kind of really give me a good, clear definition of of the clarity of playing doubles on my bass drum. The bass drum will always be the same, but I'm trying to clean up the hands around them. And so I started with that to build up my doubles. And then what happened, and I assume this happens to a lot of drummers, is I did develop really fast doubles but I could only do this little skippy thing, you know, and it was really annoying because there's no bass guitar patterns that really fit with doom, brr, 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 brr. you know, but and I couldn't stop doing it. I was just so in love with it. So I realized that, you know, it's it's weird that I have this super fast double um, note bass speed, but I have nothing for triples, nothing for quads. Um, so I started working on that. So the second exercise is probably the one that I've I've never seen anyone else no one ever showed it to me, but it just made so much sense, which was to work on threes, I just took the right hand lead paradiddle, right, left, right, right. I looped that right, left, right, 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 left, right, 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 left, right, 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 left, right, right. And then I put bass drum with all the right hands. So that ended up being kind of one two, three, one, 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 two, three, one. And really built that up. So that was for my threes, and I just uh eventually what I would do is that left hand that's ghosted on the ease one E and a two E and a I would just take that left hand and start coming up with puzzles for myself and say, okay, what if I played, you know, a clave with the left hand while I keep this going? Cause what I was trying to do is build the endurance with my foot. So I needed to do this for like 10 or 15 minutes, but playing a repetitive four note exercise for 15 minutes, I don't have the mental capacity to do that. <laughs> so I had to come up with like games for my left hand to try to keep my brain involved. Um, and then the last one was something that I noticed was a problem too. I could do singles between my hand and kick like right kick right kick right kick right kick and I could do doubles right right kick kick but if I m- mixed the two together it it all fell apart i had to like it was almost like to play a fast single stroke roll between my hand and my kick. I had to like build it up like du but I couldn't just jump into that vi mm. <laughs> so um And same thing with the doubles. So I just mixed the two. So number four in the uh, article is right kick, right right kick, kick. Right kick, right right kick, kick. So you're getting a, -a 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 a... So you're mixing the two together to make sure that you're not just kind of on autopilot. Wait. Yeah, man. And I did it for like years and years. And my mom was like, is there any way that we could buy something quiet like is our practice pad for that and at the time you know i mean this is like uh like late 80s there was no practice pad for it you're just doing it <laughs> yeah i
1: actually built one out of like plywood and taped
0: a pillow to it and did you really <laughs>
1: yeah but it was so loud it was so annoying yeah,
0: usually most of the practice pad things end up being louder than the drum set.
1: Yeah, just so. I even took it to my freshman dorm in college, and I can't believe I mean, it must have been like I was in there jackhammering all day long.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. It was ridiculous. It was huge. Think you're like some crazy engineer, and then they just realize all you're trying to do is build up foot speed.
1: And it looked like a wooden tombstone with a pillow taped on it.
0: <laughs> That's all
1: you need, buddy
0: I mean, they, And they have stuff now, right? Doesn't like a uh, real feel make like a little tower? or? Yeah,
1: theirs is great because it collapses So you can like literally put it in your backpack And, and Gibraltar had has like a practice pad set up It's like a round rubber pad, it feels good
0: Yeah, and then DW has the Go Anywhere Practice Pad Kit So if you have more room and you're not going to be taking it down all the time That works fine um- Yeah, there's the Foot's little plastic pedals that They're not exactly <laughs> like bass drums But you can still work out your, your ankles Right but that, that Tower one, that is made by Real Feel? Yeah, HQ yeah. Percussion. HQ yeah. Percussion, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I've, I've, I was at a clinic in Canada, and one of the guys had that. And it, it, it worked great, you know? Just set it up on the ground, and it was fine. Yeah. Attached your bass drum pedal to it, so. Uh, but yeah, so that was kind of the concept was just I wanted to share... Because a lot of times at clinics, people mention my bass drum speed. Because I think most people know that I don't play double bass. And so when, whatever they hear, they know it's single bass. And I just wanted to really kind of share like, well, I know that you wish it was more complicated. I know you wish it was cooler than this, but these are literally the four exercises I did to build up my bass drum speed. I just did it a lot. You know, I didn't do it and then just leave it alone. It was every day. I just thought, okay, if I'm at 90 BPM, then it seems fairly possible to me that I could get one BPM faster every single day. And obviously there would be plateaus. But if I could get one BPM faster every day... It would take less than a year for me to get up to 200 BPM on all of these. And so I just pushed like crazy until I had this skill set. And then to be 100% honest, it's been low, low maintenance work ever since I've got that speed. You know, Um, I, I really don't spend hardly any time building my speed anymore. It's just kind of there and I maintain it a little bit in my daily practice but not too much so it's kind of, one of those things where it's like just learn to ride the bike and then you'll have it
1: yeah right so did you do anything with your left foot to work that up or is that just a, a dog
0: no my no my left <laughs> foot is a is, it's a sweet sweet buttery anchor um <laughs> no um speed wise i i mean i i can barely do anything i i use my left foot much more as a timekeeper so i made sure that yeah. i could play you know um I, I would get worn down if I was playing super, super quick bebop, um, you know, even just two and four on the hi-hat. But if you're at like 340, my my left foot would kind of wear out on me. Um, so I did build up enough speed to be able to keep time at faster tempos. But for me, if I'm working on, say, doubles between my feet, it's usually like splash close with the hi-hat followed by two kicks so so it's Uh, more of a melodic thing something i would use as an ostinato to solo over so i do use my left foot a lot but it's definitely not as a a speed thing now what did you do to build up your bass drum speed or or i mean i've never sat down and matched chops with you do you have bass drum speed Uh, you know i mean i no (laughs) Uh, i mean because i know it wouldn't have been a big focus of yours during jazz it would have been much more used as a melodic thing than a fast thing
1: yeah generally it's, it was just a control thing like I, I wanted to just have really good control of my bass drum sure but I've had a double pedal since I was like 13 uh, so I've always practiced double pedal just to develop it not really ever to use it uh, so I would play like stick control just with my feet or play stick control with my left foot and my right hand just all the different variations of that uh, just to kind of it was more of a coordination slash technique builder uh, right. Mostly for control, so that was a big thing, and then I would uh, uh just working through the new breed because the bulk of that book you're you're reading these melodies with your bass drum, so there'd be a lot of like four or five notes in a row right so just working through that book was good for that and then um the you know the double beat exercise that like drum lines play da-da, 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 yep. da-da. I would just do that with the bass drum while playing a groove over top um with either foot. So just yeah. that you know, pretty simple stuff. I think a lot of people have done. But it was always for me. It was always it was building up the bass drum to be free like my hands, so I could yeah I could replace the left hand with the left foot if I'm playing jazz. So I could comp with my left foot comfortably, or I could get the bass drum in where I need to for emphasis. Um, you yeah, but never I never was I wasn't systematic like you. I didn't have any goals, or tempos, or objective. I just wanted to if I had an idea, I wanted to be able to execute it clearly.
0: Exactly. Well, and I think that's where people should be gauging, you know, speed and exercise off of is if you wish you could play stuff that requires a faster bass drum, then you're going to need to practice exercises that build up your speed. And that is where I was coming from as a kid. You know, I wanted to play, I mean, this whole thing started from uh, the song One by Metallica. I so badly wanted to play that. My parents couldn't afford a double bass pedal, so I had to play it between floor tom and bass drum. And that was just the goal was to build up that speed and so i think that you know there has to be a desired result in mind and when my students come to me and say hey i really want to get a faster bass drum speed going and i say okay cool like what kind of music are you are you into and they say john mayer the john mayer trio then i have to say okay well honestly you don't need speed we need to work on control feel touch but if they came to me and said i'm really really into Mashuga, Sepultura, it's like, okay, then we're going to have to work very hard on the physical aspect of playing this fast and clean. So it's really just about the desired result. You know, that's, I mean, even with my students, that's what we call it. We call it the desired result technique. Figure out your desired result and then create a plan to get you there. But don't just do something because you think you're supposed to be fast or you think you're supposed to be loud or, or quiet. You know, it has to be based on a desired result. That's great advice. I kind of took the the route of I want to be able to do everything because I don't know what I want to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that happens too. And that's why it's so great to have a teacher sometimes because maybe you, you don't know what you want to do, but your teacher can ask you those questions. That's the role of the teacher is not to treat you like the last student he or she just saw, but to say, Hey, who's your favorite band? Who's your favorite drummer? If I was your drum genie and I could grant you one drum wish, what would it be? You know, that's that's what the first five minutes of a drum lesson is supposed to be. Finding out more about the student and creating a plan specifically for them because they may not know themselves, you know? Yeah, great advice. I'm getting I'm getting fired up. Checks Say in the right mail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's move into a new segment that we're calling Shop Talk. And this is just a chance for us to kind of get you guys on the inside of things that seem like they should be kind of everyone should know it but how would you know it unless somebody told you and what i I mean an example of that would be nylon tip versus wood tip sticks and you think like well i don't know they just make them it's like no they make them for a reason but if you don't know that reason then how would you know that reason so today we're going to talk about that was kind of a tease now people are like wait tell me about the tips tell me about the tips (laughs) Uh, today we're going to talk about coded versus clear heads and uh, we'll talk a little bit about whether the company matters and stuff like that. So what most people don't realize is that your drum head generally, depending on the company, but most companies, they're making their drum heads out of a substance called mylar. And it can be a single ply, it can be a double ply, or even in some extreme cases, it can be a triple ply. And they change in thickness from, say, 5 millimeters up to 7 millimeters, all the way up to 10 millimeters. So you could have, you know, the classic two-ply head, whether it be from Evans, Remo, Aquarian, is going to generally be two 7-millimeter plies of mylar stuck together. Now, if the, that mylar is clear, it is a cert- it has a certain sound, it has a certain sonic property, then the coated head what most people don't know is that coated head is the clear head. They're spraying a coating on it. And that coating is warming up the sound of the drum. Plus, it's giving you a surface that has texture. So you can play brushes on it and get some more texturized sound out of it. So in your experience, I mean, do you know, did it... I'm trying to think. I don't remember ever seeing clear heads in the old... Like when I look at 1920s drums, they, were, they went from like... Kind of the skin heads, and then yeah. all of a sudden they were coated. But I don't remember. But they had to have been clear before they were coated. So, do you know any history of this? That is was worthy of research. But I think I was gonna say I should have prepped you of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, because the the calfskin heads they weren't coated; they were just skin. So they, they just were w- they were sort of translucent, but not really. So really, like the closest to a to a calfskin head is like the Evans etched head. So okay. it's, there's not a yep. coating on it. It's just they they textureize the surface so it looks hazy and it's more like a calfskin um, so i think from the very beginning they just wanted to have it look like that okay so whatever they did I mean, I, you know it's worth I, I guess the ambassador was the first drum head we'll have to research that and follow up i bet it was yeah. a coated head from the very beginning
0: yeah i don't remember ever i've never seen some old vintage drum you know uh on ebay with a clear head on it but it would have had yeah and that's what i'm wondering is was it a kind of a a milky white uh, mylar in the first place, you know, or plastic film in the first place, anyways, and then eventually they offered clear. Or how did that you know kind what? of happen? I thinking about it, the bottom heads on my
1: '64 slingling kit are neither coated nor clear; they're just white. They're kind of gray.
0: Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's just kind of the plastic that was available, and then maybe yeah. they cleared it up. Because I, I know Aquarian in the last five years has actually changed the clarity of their clear heads. Um, and it, and it actually, it's not just visual. So they used to be kind of a little bit milky. Um, and then you would put a Remo or an Evans on, and it was like crystal clear. You see right through the drum. And, and Aquarian, very purposely from Roy Burns, had a different Mylar. And then recently, they switched to a new Mylar that's crystal clear. And, and actually, there's more attack. So hmm. now, as far as the sonic properties between these two you know what? I mean, you're the one that gets to test all this stuff out. So what are the sonic properties that you notice between clear versus coded? Um, I think it's it's a little bit of a myth of perception. Because uh, if you really look at the science of it, a
1: clear head is going to have the most sustain, the longest tone, the most pure tone. So then, which should mean that the attack is actually less than a coded head. But I think because it's has a brighter sound, the attack is brighter. It sounds like it, it has more attack. But if you really look at the waveform, a coated head
0: is going to have more attack because the sustain is actually shorter. Got it. So it's almost like a mix-up of terminology. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it has more click to it, so we're calling that click the attack. Right. But the coating actually also grabs the beat of the drumstick a
1: little bit, so even there, there's probably still more sound of the wood fric- with the friction hitting the head. So I think it's it's the brightness that makes it sound like it has more attack. Again, that should probably should go to some research to to remo and Aquarian and evans to see what they say but i mean in a pure audiophile way a clear head has the most pure tone so it shouldn't have more attack or it should just be the the most sustained the purest tone of the drum you have a personal preference between clear and coded i tend to always go to coded um i have i have clear on a few different drums but um I just tend to go to coding. I like a, a sh- little bit shorter sustain. I like a little bit warmer, and more low-end sound, and the coding just tends to do that. Um, right. That said, one of the Bucks County kits, the Bebop kit, actually came with clear G1s, top and bottom. Okay. Which, for a jazz drummer, that's like, no way. Put <laughs> a coding head on that. <laughs> but, yeah. But, I mean, I, I couldn't, I was actually quite surprised at how great they sounded really tight with the clear head you'd think it'd be super bright and brittle and like kind of gnarly but it was actually very pure uh which is also it's a testament to the how the drums are made as well sure Uh, so i do i do have found that if you want to test the quality of your drum shells put a clear single ply head on that sucker and then see what it does that is what it is
0: (laughs) there's no hiding that's wow man and now i think there's also a little bit of a visual aspect to this too because when i think of my kit you know i've got like a um kind of a satin maple kit. And when I think of it with white heads or coated heads on it, it has a certain vibe to me. And then when I think of it with clear heads, I I instantly think of music stores. I think of stock heads and I'm like, ah, that's now it went from being my kit into a drum set, you know? And I, that's how I always differ. Like kit is something I built together. It's mine. That is my kit with my snare drum and my cymbals and drum set. I got at Montgomery wards for $199. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, so, yeah, so I think there is. I mean, if somebody said there's no sonic difference whatsoever, I would definitely use coated because I like the way, you know, the white looks on the kit. So I think that, that there's probably some mental aspect to that as well. But I definitely notice, you know, that they are warmer and it's a shorter sustain. You know, but unless you have like Sonar had those SQ3, SQ, what is what's that series called? SQ2?
1: The SQ2. Where the interior is just as gorgeous as the exterior. So true in that case if you're going to have like a zebra stripe interior ply you might want to just yeah. keep it all but yeah in general the inside of drums is just not too too attractive it's a lot of bolts and raw wood and stuff so yeah.
0: i'm with well. You. On, my, on my broadcaster i have i have the tone control top and bottom so yeah it just looks like there's like a yard sale going on inside <laughs> of my tom's. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not a it's not a pretty sight yeah. uh so i'm gonna stick with coded heads uh so well cool well you know at some point i mean i would assume that you probably feel the same as me but on say a g2 coded, aquarium coded uh response to and a emperor coded by remo do you find a huge difference between the brands and their coding sonically i i
1: don't i i know there's some people who swear they can um I don't hear really that much of a difference. I did find that the coded G2s that were on this Bucks County, the big kit, uh-huh. uh, they were they were definitely darker than what I remember the Emperor sounding like. But that yeah. could have just been the drum. I'm not sure.
0: I've I've found because I mean sometimes when we have guest artists here, you know, uh, if they send Stanton Moore, he's a Remo artist, so even though we're both Gretsch guys, I'll switch out his heads for him. Um, you know, or, uh, I think we had, when we had Ralph Peterson here, he was an Evans guy. So we put Evans heads on the kit. And the one thing I did notice is I didn't notice a huge difference in the sound between the coating, but the feel of the coating, Evans coating was much smoother. Like, um, and then Remo and Aquarian was a little more rugged. So I would think if you're a brush player, that would matter to you in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, I would think the rougher coating is going to create a, a louder sound with the brushes as you're, you know. Swishing them around a bit, so but um, definitely cool stuff. And yeah, in the future episodes, we'll we'll uh, you know get a hold of these companies and find out a little bit more about the wh- when did the clear head show up and when did it kind of come into popularity? Was it late in the '60s with rock and roll and stuff, or when did that all happen? Yeah. What about your bass drum? Do you go coated? I actually, yeah, on my on most of them, I go clear. I use what's called uh, the uh, Force One, so it's pretty much a single ply. Uh, seven mil head with a reinforcement ring of another seven mil ply, um, but on my broadcaster I'm using a I'm using that same head but coated. Um, okay. And I'm using that, and then uh, usually I use a a single ply coated um, resonant head. Right. What about you? Uh, you know, I, I always want to use a coated head, but it ends up just
1: being too dead for me in yeah. most cases. Unless on well, my my jazz kit I have like a single ply ambassador coated, and that's the perfect sound for that but if i'm going for like a punchier sound or a studio sound i'm always trying the the power stroke 3 coated and and it always just ends up sounding because when you get it really low i find that that coating just dulls it a little bit too much yeah so the clear the clear p3 is is like my go-to or i really like the remo uh renaissance power stroke 3 which that's their that's remo's version of like the calfskin etched kind of
0: head yeah 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 definitely yeah um yeah the only coated bass drum head that i have for resonant or i'm sorry for batter side is on my 20 inch 20 by 14 broadcaster so um it's already you know it's, it's a punchy drum on its own so it works pretty good for that yeah. all right let's get into our cover artist cover artist this month is mr brian fraser moore um He's got a few minor gigs like Madonna, Justin Timberlake, Usher, Christina Aguilera, Babyface. But he also does other things like BFM Consultation Services, so I want to talk about that. Now, Brian Fraser Moore, do you remember at what point he kind of showed up on the professional touring scene? Was it 2008-ish, or was that when you guys featured him for doing that stuff?
1: Yeah, it would have been quite a bit earlier than that. Because I lived in Philadelphia in 2003, 2004, and he was already superstar out of the, you know, already big time, everybody there. He was like the, him and, and, uh, John Roberts were like the two guys from Philly that kind of established Philly as a, you want to, you want a guy for your pop gig, go to Philly and get these guys. Okay. Got so, it. so when I was there, that was when Spanky was coming up. So yep. Brian is already like two drummer generations removed from that. Wow. So at that point he was, he was already out. Torn. I think he might have been doing. Uh, gosh, what Janet do Jackson, be? maybe. I, yeah, Janet or, or even Madonna back then. So we're looking at twelve years at least. Wow, at the top. Yeah,
0: yeah. those are pretty neat gigs. I, I can't even. I can't even comprehend the pressure of a gig like that. You know, and it's funny too because when people talk about Brian Fraser Frasermore and, and the gigs, they're so quick to try to put him in a drum contest with somebody, and they don't understand the whole concept of the gig. You know, and it's like. The gig is that you need to do the gig. It's not the yeah. Guitar Center drum off every <laughs> right. night. You know what I mean? It's like there's a reason why John Blackwell, Brian Fraser Moore, you know, get these kinds of gigs, and it's because they can do the gig. Whatever the artist wants them to do, they can do it. Uh, and I, I'm sure you've seen, I don't, I'm, you know, when you see these massive productions, it's not like, oh, you need to play the album. It's quite the opposite. It's like you need to play the live arrangement of this song and have that memorized. Um, and trigger all of these samples i mean it's a it's a it's a huge undertaking that i don't think most people understand because they just think well the the drummer with the most chops that 's who should be playing with Justin timberlake, and it's so the opposite yeah
1: yeah I mean I think uh I think Aaron Spears was the lucky guy who usher gave him free rein to do some over the bar line fills in this show right <laughs> sure, but I think that's the i mean that's the rare for for i mean Madonna just wants to go on stage and have it sound like her record. So, don't be throwing any polyrhythms. Don't be throwing any quintuplets. (laughs) You know, it's like just play the record and play it exactly as we've always played it every time. She might give him a couple spots to shine. I haven't seen the show, so I'm not sure. But yeah, he even talks about it in the story about how that's his whole goal is to learn the music inside and out to where he knows what everybody's playing. He knows every drum sound. He knows exactly. So he can call on his memory bank. All right, I got to get these samples. I have to have for this song, and it, and every song has a different production. No, so, totally. So he's got to be firing different bass drum sounds. So you can't be worried about your, you know, your little
0: bass drum flutters and stuff. <laughs> if,
1: if you've got it, no,
0: no, no. It's. I mean, that's what I mean. Is that gig? You could take the greatest drummer in the world, but if they're not familiar with all of the electronics that go into this, if they're not familiar with having. You know, in their in ear monitors, a producer jumps in and says, you know, starts directing them on the fly, you know, which can happen sometimes. I mean, all that stuff comes into it. I think you just have to give the gig the gumball test. You know, you walk to the front of the stage, throw a handful of gumballs, and how many drummers will you hit? And if you hit less than five, then it's not a drumming gig. So do your job. You know, if you go to a Blink 182 concert and throw that same handful of gumballs, you're going to hit a ton of drummers. So it's okay to get loose a little bit and entertain the crowd that's there. Yeah, and I mean he's he also has a really
1: good sense of humor. So I think for that type of gig, you've got to be you've got to be a cool person because it's going to be intense. You know, if Madonna, she he probably doesn't even see Madonna. She probably flies in on a private jet and just expects right. it to be ready to go. So it's it's already just an intense situation. You've got a superstar, like not just a a, a good singer.
0: She's a superstar. So you don't you don't think that sometimes she just backpacks like from two cities away. <laughs> Just shows up like, what's up, guys? I'm sorry I'm late. Crazy, crazy amount of foot traffic uh, coming over the Rockies. I mean, I really wonder if she even knows everybody in the band, to be perfectly honest with you. I've I've heard some stories from some people that told me that have played gigs like this where they're like, it was a six month tour and I never once met the artist. They never even looked in my direction on stage.
1: Yeah, so you're just a piece wow. of a machine, and you've got to be—you've got to go with it, go with the flow. So the first time, the reason I brought it up is the first time I ever met him it was at an Am show three or four years ago, uh, and I was at the Tama booth talking to the to Aaron, the artist rep there. And at the time, Brian was playing Tama drums, I believe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because he had a signature snare drum for him. Yep. Uh, so he, you know, he came, you know, waltzed into the booth with a huge smile on his face and an entourage and he comes right up to me we'd never met before he has no idea who I am what my association with Tama or, or Aaron or drumming in general and he looks at me and points at me and goes you're a surfer right? What? what? Yeah. Just because you have long hair? Because I had somewhat shaggy hair. Oh that's so awesome. Like I know you're I'm a not
0: surfer. a surfer. No I live on the east coast what? No. <laughs> Let me guess you're a drummer.
1: Yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> Uh, so it was. Awesome. I mean, it was funny.
1: It was pretty funny. I mean, I was a little bit like, "Well, what was he offend? Was he trying to insult me? I don't know what his point was." Right, right, he, right. There was no follow up. It was just pointed at me. He goes surfer, right? And that was and it. You're like,
0: wow, great observation. No, I've never been Next. on a surfboard in that's my so life. Right. <laughs> now, speaking of him being a Tama guy, now he's a Pearl guy. But before both of those, he was a Drumcraft guy. So this is just something I wanted to ask you about. What happened to Drumcraft? It seemed like it burst on the scene so massive. They were really cool looking drums. I only got to hear them at, you know, at a uh, NAM show, so where you don't really get to hear them at all. And I remember Brian Fraser Moore, they put a lot of, I mean, he was like one of their flagship artists, and then all of a sudden it was just gone. Did did the owners move somewhere else? Did they sell the company? Do you know what happened to Drumcraft? I don't know the details, but I know they had trouble with distribution. Okay. But we're, so were they not like a boutique company? Were they trying to get on the scene with Pearl, Tama, Gratch, and everybody else? I'm fairly certain they were mass-produced
1: Asian-made okay. drums in Germany. I got it. Okay. The company I think that's where Germany. I was
0: a little confused because they looked so custom because they had some really cool finishes. They had proprietary lugs. I just thought maybe they were just a small company that started blowing up. But if they were trying to tackle you know, the big market, then I can see where they yeah. were of
1: trouble. And I think Brian went there solely to get a, an acrylic kit for the last Madonna tour or maybe it was a Timberlake tour. He wanted an all acrylic kit. And at the time, I think Tama was really pushing away from that Mirage stuff right. that they were doing. So I, he went there for a while. And then just as soon as that tour was over,
0: he he was gone. <laughs> <Got> whatever <laughs> reason <laughs> take it easy Drumcraft. well Drumcraft, i thought you made beautiful drums if you ever want to come back i'll be here so i don't know, I don't know
1: the status of them now they might still be available in europe but i think there was uh, another company trying to distribute them here in the past couple of years but and they were at nam last year just in a smaller okay. smaller booth so i don't i sure. don't know where they're
0: at well last thing i want to talk about with uh, brian Fraser Moore is the bfm consultation services so I'm guessing he offers his consultation services to different musicians about the industry. I mean, he's definitely been in the biggest side of the industry. And with all the gospel stuff he did in Philly and all the albums he's done there, he's seen that side of it. And, and to get to either of those places, you would have had to have come up as just kind of your average local gigging drummer. Now, is he offering these services, do you know, to all musicians or is it just to drummers?
1: That is a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, no, it's, it's every, it's anyone.
0: Okay, so yeah. he's just kind of giving kind of industry consultation services,
1: yeah, it's like a mentorship. You want to break into the the big the
0: big scene, he can offer some suggestions. Nice, very cool. Well, definitely check that out and uh, you know track down um, some videos of him playing because like I said, you know these gigs that he's doing Madonna, Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera. I mean the amount of work that goes in it so supersedes being a drum set player it's it's a huge deal and and what happens is once you can do once you can handle the Madonna gig, that gives somebody like Justin Timberlake's you know music director or usher's music director the confidence like okay, if you can handle that, you can handle our samples, you can handle these triggers, you can handle our lighting show our You know, wardrobe changes. It's it's a it's a huge production. All right, let's get into the gear review. Uh, This is everybody's favorite time because they get to hear cool stuff. So the first thing that you reviewed was a new pack from Soul Tone Cymbals, and the pack comes with a 13 inch hi hat, 16 inch crash, and 19 inch ride. These are all B20 bronze, so very very nice quality of cymbals. Um, So give me the kind of the sound and the goal. What were they trying to go for with this pack?
1: This was their first venture into a pre pack. They, had, okay. they have not offered anything before, and they wanted to be professional symbols, but reasonably priced. I mean, they're not—they're not budget level symbols. These are professional symbols, right. but they're reasonably priced, which is why they're smaller. So that's why less metal, less expense, less cost. The, sure. And they also want them to be easy to travel, so you can. Oh, ho. Mike, that's a faux pas. <laughs> Come on, dog. Hey, let me explain what that is. This is pretty interesting. <laughs> I needed an ex- a reason to stop what I'm doing every hour and and, pr- and shed a little bit on my practice pad. Oh, So I okay. actually have an alarm that goes off every hour, and then I set aside five minutes to just work on something on the practice pad. So I should be practicing right now. You're interrupting okay, my practice well. time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, if we didn't talk so much about, you know, the rock and jazz clinic— We've been flying through. All right, moving back to that. So sixteen uh thirteen sixteen nine, B20 yes, bronze. Right. So what I was saying is there, that
1: size, is it'll fit in an overhead compartment as well.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I read that. It says it's airline compliant. Does that mean that a 20-inch ride is one inch too big to fit in an overhead?
1: They might make you check it. They might. Wow. This, this is unquestionable. You can carry it on, and it'll fit in the overhead
0: compartment. That's pretty cool. That's really yep. cool. And it's not, like you said, it's not it's not overly cheap but for b20 symbols it's not overly expensive for that pack the list is you know a little over 1300 dollars, and if your store or whatever outlet you're looking at you know a general percentage off i don't want to get in trouble with too many stores here but generally it's between 30 and 35 percent off of list that's going to bring this pack down to like 860 bucks so that's not terrible for you know uh for for a full set of cymbals and i think it takes people a while to realize that you're probably going to end up spending more money on your cymbals than your drum set it's just like cameras you buy this amazing camera and then you realize that the lenses are way more than the camera it doesn't make sense at first but once you get used to it it's part of it you know if somebody stole my drum set i'd be pissed if somebody stole my cymbal bag we'd have a serious problem right you know so that i think that's a great price and then um and then what was your take on the sound I mean, they were like clean, all-purpose kind of cymbals. Um, okay.
1: The hi-hats were, I mean, they're 13, so they're more more crisp and uh, chimey in a way. The crash, I mean, it's a 16-inch crash. It sounds like a good, bright, but not annoying 16-inch crash. And the 19-inch ride was pingy. It uh, had a good ping. It sounded like a, it could work on most gigs. Um, I, I demoed them in kind of like an up-tempo rock song like a okay. like a Tom Petty running down the dream kind of a feel and they they work great for that. So yeah, I mean they're it's a good deal. Uh if people don't know Soltone is actually a USA company based out of California, but they get their symbols from Turkey. Got uh, it. at some point we should probably do a whole explanation of Turkish symbols, but
0: <laughs> I think I think you know, we should
1: <laughs> for now just know that these are made by a factory in Turkey and brought to the US as Soltone. Awesome. Well, let's take a listen to him. So this month for snare drums, I checked out a custom shop out of, I believe they're in L.A., but Southern California, maybe the suburbs, uh, Guy, which is a, I'm pretty sure he's born in Japan, but is now a resident of the U.S. And his name is Guy, G-A-A-I. And he, his specialty is in really crazy custom cut veneer finishes. The drums themselves are made out of Keller shell maple. Uh, so he's not making his own shells, but what he does is he cuts veneers into these really elaborate designs. So it's not a, it's not a, a computer printing. So the one in this review that's called the five stars, there's like three dimensional looking stars that are kind of coming at you that he he cut out of pieces of wood and put onto the finish. So it's pretty. It's pretty and impressive. It's,
0: I mean, the the mix of woods that he used—it's insane. He's got zebra wood, walnut, mahogany, and maple all cut into a veneer, and then to have that in a satin finish—you know—I yeah. mean, because you could cover up if it was kind of jagged, you could cover it up with a with a lacquer, but it's a it's a satin finish, so it's insane. And I've never seen you so excited about a, a company. I remember last year at Nam, you grabbed me and walked me over to their booth, yeah. and it was the only booth that you took me to specifically. <laughs> And uh, you know, and I was like, "Oh my good And it was so awesome because guy was there. He's just standing there with an apron on, yeah, you know, right. like a a shop apron, <laughs> just walking people through his drums. And he couldn't be more proud and more happy. And it was, it it just felt good, you know. Yeah, I mean, and and he he doesn't have to do that. I mean, there's no
1: there's no particular demand for hand cut veneers on your finish. So it's just his his passion and his calling. And it's so you know, if you get one of his drums, he's spent hours on that
0: sucker, right. And it's, it's really cool stuff. And it's not just look. I mean, I, I don't know if you heard the story about him and Jeff Picaro practicing uh, in Japan. No. Okay, so he's in Japan at his practice spot on, you know, just kind of a wrecked drum set and he's practicing. And then Jeff Picaro was over there with Toto and he booked the room after Guy to practice in. And so Guy's leaving the room, Picaro comes in and Piccaro starts playing, and the drum set instantly sounds 100 times better than when Guy was playing it so he goes back in and asks Jeff, you know, can I sit and watch for a little bit and he starts studying how he's hitting and everything. And that was kind of the genesis of of the company itself like he thought I want to make drums that sound so good that they inspire you because Jeff is making this drum set sound so good. I'm inspired to practice. And that's kind of how all of this kind of got started in his head um, was by sitting down with Jeff Beccaro and thinking, I'm going to make drums that visually and sonically inspire people so much that they want to practice, which I thought was really a cool story, you know?
1: Yeah, and the 18, that was what made me take you over to the booth. They had an 18 inch bass drum that it sounded oh. amazing i mean absolutely, absolutely amazing so it's almost like uh you can't help but talk about the look of these things but when you sit down and play them, like oh yeah that's that's one of the best drums i've ever
0: played i mean it's it, it looks crazy but that thing sounds amazing yeah well if if you want to start up a conversation with other drummers get one of these snares because there's no way people are going to just walk by it they're, they're yeah, out of i mean the, go- the, the golden beam which he also
1: does hand cut uh like sparkle and and pearl finishes, the golden beam is just ridiculous. Everything on it is gold. There's no way I would I would take that to a gig with a straight face, personally. But the fact that he just went there—I mean, every bit the tension rods, the snare throw off, the the finishes, the hoops, everything is gold. Hey, man,
0: <laughs> Brian Fraser Moore, if you're listening, I know you've got that. Uh, you know, uh, what gig's he on right now? Madonna. <laughs> that that would work great. <laughs> She does a costume change. You change out to that snare. Now, how deep is the 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 poppin' blue one?
1: That is a weird one. It's like basically like a ten-inch rack tom. It's a nine by ten, so it's nine inches deep and ten-inch heads. But it's a snare. But it has snares on it, like a regular <laughs> snare mechanism. So it is weird. I mean, it sounded really cool, tuned low, to get that kind of like Roland drum machine sound.
0: Okay. Now, did you get to demo that one?
1: Yeah, I did. Cool, it was, man. It was. It was. An, it was you'll see in the video it's like almost up to my chin because of how deep it
0: is (laughs) do you even have a snare stand that can collapse on a 10
1: uh no it was it was sitting on the metal arms pretty good yeah yeah yeah. so i mean if you get this drum you're probably going to get one of those like pearl suspension clip-on mounts or some sort of a clip-on mount yeah but that was a fun fun drum it was like a different take on the the popcorn drum because you could it normally these kind of drums you think tune it super tight and you get that like high pop but this actually sounded best with the head almost completely detuned to get that like like you're hitting
0: the rolling drum machine snare one (laughs) you know it just right that sound awesome well let's take a listen to them this
1: is the poppin chico blue little 9x10 snare tuned very tight no muffling This is what it sounds like tuned medium with no muffling. This is what it sounds like tuned very low still with no muffling. You can check out this drum's entire tuning range as well as demos of the other two guys' snares at ModernDrummer.com.
0: All right, now it's time for our Picks of the Week. This is our chance to alert you to things that are important to Mike and myself that uh, we think are worth checking out. My Pick of the Week this time is a website um, and uh, full transparency, it is a paid website. Uh, runs you about two ninety nine a month two dollars and ninety nine cents and it's very similar to Netflix but it's called CuriosityStream so imagine content of you know science content technology content uh, documentaries on civilization inspirational stuff about the human spirit all this content I think they might be partners with the BBC but the content is created for the website and it's called Curiositystream.com and for 299 you get access to all of this content and they are you know it's an hour long series you know on the destination to mars the secrets of quantum physics tales of nature um, you know, like I said, technology stuff where if you want to know how all of our radio telescopes are working and how we're able to network telescopes from all over the world to create much bigger telescopes, they have hour long features on that. And uh, so if you're going to veg out, I understand, but sometimes it's nice to veg out and build your intellect at the same time. So, Curiosity Stream is the key for that. And they do offer a $5.99, uh, 5, 5.99 monthly fee uh, to. For the same exact thing, but it's all in HD. Um, so I chose the five ninety nine plan. Nice. Baller status on Curiosity Stream. <laughs>
1: so, do you use this stuff
0: as in some way to influence your your teaching and, and your drumming, or is it a complete release? No, it's it's both. It started as a release, as a as a vacation from the drumming. But what happened was, I started searching out more complicated subject matter to see the people that were explaining it and i would think okay you've got a 45 minute special on string theory how on earth are you going to make me understand string theory when 99.9% of physicists don't understand it and so yeah. so i wanted to see who who's the person talking about it and how are they breaking it down and yeah it's i mean every time i'm watching one of these specials i immediately think oh wow i could use that as a way to explain dotted notes, you know, cause a lot of it, a lot of what it is, anytime you're dealing with something that's this insanely complicated, you have to reach for analogies because the analogies are your connection to the person that doesn't know what you're talking about. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm always stealing great teaching tips from watching this stuff. Sweet. Well, I'll have to check it out. My
1: pick is, uh, an app called live BPM. Have you seen that? I'm
0: typing it in now?
1: Live BPM. I, I believe it's it's paid, but it's not too expensive. And it's essentially, it can pick up the BPM of any music that it hears, or if you're drumming, it can tell you what, you're, what tempo you're playing at. Oh, yeah. So I use it for when I have to learn a bunch of cover songs for a gig, so I don't have to keep tapping my metronome. I just turn that thing on and it tells me within 10 seconds, it tells me what the tempo is.
0: Wow. It's pretty awesome. Now, okay, I want to make sure... Okay, so it's an app. You can get it on the app store, right? Yeah. Um, live VPM Beat Detector.
1: Yep, that's it.
0: Not a. I'm going to be honest. Not a lot of uh, funding spent on graphic design here. I'm not <laughs> <Okay>. trying to. <laughs> sorry, Live VPM guys. I'm not trying to call you out, but uh, as long as it works, that's all that matters, right? It works great, and you know, you you can turn it
1: on during your gigs and just set it off to the side. And if you ever need to check in and see you know, what is my tendency on this song, the speed or or the because it gives you like a graph representation of your entire Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I can see that it's like tracking you for like a period of time.
1: Yeah, so it'll show if you're going up or down and or it also shows you what BPM. So I I like to use it when I if I start a song at 92, I'll just look down at it like at the first chorus and see how much that I slow down because I always slow down. Got it. Am I one or two or am I right on it or or am I just way are we just feeling this way off? And then when the guys after the gig were like, man, we really should play that song faster. And I just looked and I'm like, well, I, don't, I monitored. We were right at 93.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you want to do Or heads up, we, we did play it faster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You so, know, I, I guess I could ask you, but maybe some of our listeners can help with this too. I'm surprised there hasn't been an app that can go through your iTunes account and organize everything by BPM. Um, they used to... Be, that,
1: didn't that used to be part of the
0: itunes library there used to be a bpm uh was there like a view i don't know but i know that that would be so helpful because sometimes i'm practicing an exercise i know that i'm capping out you know comfortably at 80 bpm and i would just like to put it into a musical environment and it's it's like another four to five minutes until i find the song with the right feel and the right tempo and Um, now you could obviously just do this yourself and go through and, but it'd be nice if everything would just do that. I I'm sure there's something out there. I just don't know what it's called. All right. Well, I will check out that app and you check out curiosity stream and guys, thank you so much for listening to episode 12 of our podcast. Please, if you get a chance, stop by iTunes or podcast one and give us a positive review. All of that stuff helps. And until episode 13, we'll see you next time.